Welcome to Maverick Minds Podcast. I'm Catherine Lloyd, founder of Maverick Minds, a creative human development service where we help individuals and teams to shift your thinking, gain new perspectives and create positive change. And I'm Danielle Bolton, Director of Association Solutions, a Specialist Secretariat and Event Management Service. Maverick Minds Podcasts are brief conversations where we unearth creative gems, people, ideas and actions that have caught our attention and think they're worth sharing with you. We're delighted to share with you the fifth Maverick Minds podcast with a focus on the environment given its World Environment Day on the 5th of June. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, the first people of Australia. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise thousands of years of culture, history, rich storytelling, art and their sophisticated environmental land management of this vast country which we're only just starting to appreciate, particularly after the devastating bushfires we experienced at the beginning of 2020. We have so much to learn from our First Nations people. And I live and work on Jagara or Yagara and Terrible Country. And Daniel, you're on? I'm on Waka Waka Country. So yes, um, there are many, many different countries, uh, Indigenous uh, countries in that make up Australia. It's fascinating to look at the map as well of that. So it's great to catch up with you, Danielle. How's your week been? Yeah, it's getting a little bit colder, Catherine, but it's still been another good week. What about you? Yeah, I enjoy this change of season. It's nice to be fresh and uh, actually get a a bit of uh, warmer clothing on. I, I quite like that change of season. So here we are, starting off with World Environment Day. Danielle, do you want to uh, kick us off with what that is all about? I sure can, Catherine. Um, In 1972, the United Nations General Assembly designated the 5th of June as World Environment Day, and it's the United Nations' principal vehicle for encouraging worldwide awareness and action for the environment. The first celebration under the slogan Only One Earth took place in 1974. In the following years, World Environment Day has developed as a platform to raise awareness of problems facing our environment, such as air pollution, plastic pollution, illegal wildlife trade, sustainable consumption, sea level rise and uh, food security, amongst others. World Environment Day helps drive change in consumption patterns and in national and international environmental policy. The theme for World Environment Day 2021 is Ecosystem Restoration, and it will see the launch of the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration, which will go from 2021 to 2030. The UN Ecosystem Restoration aims to prevent, halt and reverse the degradation of ecosystems. We have a vested interest in making sure our ecosystems work well because our life and good health depend on it. Ecosystem restoration can take many forms, like growing trees, greening cities, rewilding gardens, changing diets or cleaning up rivers and coasts. We have the opportunity to change things that can make a real difference to our environment. And this year, Pakistan is the host country for World Environment Day. As host, Pakistan gets to highlight environmental issues and showcase their country's own initiatives and its role in the global efforts. It seems that they're making a real effort to restore the country's forests. On World Environment Day, we can all take action in various ways. In particular, the World Environment Day website has a downloadable ecosystem restoration playbook, which highlights three pathways to join the movement and improve the well-being of people and nature. And this is about taking action, making smart choices, and raising your voice for restoration. It's a practical guide to healing the planet and covers areas such as towns and cities, oceans and coasts, forests and farmlands. In relation to these, there are four areas that as individuals we can take action in the following ways. 
So one of them is about being aware of our personal impact by going green, where you can buy from suppliers whose goods and services meet environmental and social standards. Another one is to live light, basically buy less. Our current economic model of consumption isn't sustainable and needs reimagining. Where possible, reuse, recycle, refuse and upcycle where making decisions and purchases. And we can eat differently by eating less meat and dairy, reducing food waste, eating locally grown where possible, choosing seasonal foods, organics, or foods not sprayed with pesticides so we reduce our reliance on dangerous pesticides and fertilisers and where you can compost and also grow your own. And use your voice. Vote and discuss with friends and family as to what they value about the planet that they live on and what you can collectively do to make a difference. I'd like to share a little um, experience I had recently where I took myself off for an edible weed and art workshop facilitated by ecologist and gardener Kate Wall and artist Les Kendall, who focused our attention on edible plants and weeds. It was fabulous. So we tasted and we sketched and used watercolours to look at these weedy plants and it really totally opened my eyes to a whole new plant world. It really changed my perception about what we consider to be um, nuisance plants or, or pests or weeds. And as Kate says, what is a weed? Well, it's just a plant in the you know that somebody doesn't want in a particular place really in many respects. So I went into my garden over the weekend and harvested these so-called weeds, which actually have a high nutritional value and made some weedy pesto and I've been making weedy tea throughout the week. So um, I have had an epiphany around weeds, actually. It was just delightful. During our research, we also came across the Deloitte 2021 report called Climate Check, Businesses' Views on Environmental Sustainability. The Climate Check Pulse Survey tracks changes in sentiment and how businesses have started to prioritise sustainability initiatives for various reasons, such as the impact on business and ultimately a recognition that there are opportunities to be had. The world is changing, expectations are changing, and we have to change, adapt and innovate. The businesses that get that will have the leading edge. The survey reveals that meaningful environmental sustainability initiatives can create long-term value for business from financial performance to employee morale and recruitment. They can help organisations meet customer and shareholder expectations and activism. And there's also an understanding from executives that collaboration with other businesses and governments must be part of the process to develop solutions to climate change. The survey showed 82% of executives are concerned about climate change, which I'm glad to hear, uh, and 59% believe we are at a tipping point in relation for how we respond to climate issues. One upside of COVID has been less air travel as people realise that there's a whole lot more we can do virtually. And we definitely have seen the possibility of being able to collaborate and create virtually. Um, I know my ex- my networks have expanded and opportunities have expanded as a result of that. So it will be interesting to see how much of what we've done over the past year sticks as countries open up. And as we know, a major contributor to global emissions is air travel. The report states that COVID seems to have had an impact on some sustainable business initiatives but hasn't stopped them, and 81% of executives believe businesses and governments should make greater effort to protect the environment. The two greatest motivating factors, there are others, for business to increase its environmental sustainability efforts are investor and shareholder demands and societal and employee activism. Therefore, it is possible through individual and collective action to put pressure on business and governments to act in ways that are more protective of the environment. 
We need policy and regulations to drive business and behaviour change. There is an issue around short-term thinking in relation to business and politics, which is also driven by investor and shareholder demands as well, as well as voters too. One of the concerns businesses flagged is possible alienation of, of customers or employees if they make a stance on the environment. So we really have a paradox. On the one hand, business and industry may well respond to investor and shareholder demands. In that sense, it depends on who the investors are and their agenda and what they're demanding. And if we are the investors and shareholders, what are our expectations of the companies we are invested in, whether that be through our shares, superannuation and the businesses we are employed by, where do we believe our responsibility lies and what are we prepared to do? What requests or demands and pressure are we willing to place on the businesses we are invested in? One of the issues highlighted in the report is the lack of leadership in terms of being prepared to buy in, take a stance and make decisions, which may be counter to the demands of particular stakeholders. So it seems we have some way to go in navigating how businesses take action and respond to environmental concerns. The COVID-19 pandemic is a clear reminder how closely human health is connected to the planet's health. Research shows that a healthy ecosystem helps to protect us from disease as biological diversity makes it difficult for pathogens to spread rapidly. In the post-pandemic recovery, we have the opportunity and responsibility to create a more sustainable economy, and that is good for people and the planet. There is a need to shift towards a more sustainable business model. There is no one answer to this. It's a multifaceted and requires collaboration and willingness to take risks. Reflecting on this, there was a particular statement I came across that grabbed me, and that is, nature has the answers. And so inspired by that, we wanted to look at some of the more creative natural solutions that are available to us in terms of what it means to create sustainable businesses, products and services. We have a real opportunity to heal and nurture the planet rather than harm it, work with it rather than against it. So Danielle, let's explore some of these interlinking ideas. Sure. To begin with, let's look at nature-based solutions, which are solutions to societal change that involve working with nature to deliver benefits for people and biodiversity. They include the protection, restoration and management of natural and semi-natural ecosystems, the sustainable management of productive land and seascapes, and the creation of novel ecosystems such as urban green infrastructure. At the 2016 World Conservation Congress, the International Union for Conservation of Nature members adopted a resolution which for the first time defined the use of nature for simultaneous benefits to biodiversity and human well-being. According to the resolution, nature-based solutions are defined as actions to protect, sustainably manage and restore natural or modified ecosystems that address societal changes effectively and adaptively, simultaneously providing human well-being and biodiversity benefits. Well-designed nature-based solutions can contribute to tackling climate change and biodiversity loss while supporting many other sustainable development goals, but poorly designed schemes can have adverse impacts. They need to be based on rigorous ecological principles such as reducing carbon emissions, investment in greener technology, the conservation and protection of existing ecosystems, and to be socially and ecologically responsible. Without a healthy biodiverse environment, our human health is in jeopardy. These nature-based solutions also include biomimicry, which is innovation that is inspired by design and emulates models, systems and elements of nature for the purpose of solving complex human problems. Biomimicry was popularised by scientist and author Janine Benyus in her 1997 book, Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature, where she outlines three ways we can be inspired by nature to help us address these complex human problems. They include nature as model, nature as measure and nature as mentor. 
Unlike the Industrial Revolution, the biomimicry revolution introduces sustainability as an objective and with a mindset that asks, what can we learn from nature rather than what can we extract from nature? Biomimicry opens our eyes to the elegance of nature's inventions and that any of our human inventions have appeared in nature, such as the heating and air conditioning skills of termites when they make their mounds and architectural struts and beams of lily pads and bamboo stems. And then there are bees, birds and turtles that navigate without maps. I mean, this is all such awesome stuff. Nature's achievements provide us with enormous learning rather than exploitation. The Biomimicry Institute also hosts the Ray of Hope Prize, created in honour of Ray Anderson, the founder of Interface, a commercial flooring company and leader in sustainability that now embraces nature-inspired solutions for the design and development of their products. You can see the 2021 Ray of Hope finalists online, but we'll share a couple of examples here. First one is Spintex Engineering, which has cracked the spider's code and has developed a solution that mimics a spider's a spider spinneret's ability to spin fibre at room temperature without harsh chemicals. Spider silk is often cited as one of the strongest biological materials in the world. And many of us would know that or have a sense of that if we've actually walked through a spider's web. And scientists have long been searching for a way to artificially synthesise this silk for human use as a textile fibre. Other biomimetic processes include the use of mushroom materials, a class of renewable biomaterial grown from fungal mycelium and can be used within many products like building materials, thermal insulation panels and protective packaging. And then there's an example of biomechanics professor Frank Fish who saw a statue of a humpback whale in a gift shop. So I just love that his name is, his last name is Fish and assumed that the sculptor had made a mistake because conventional fluid mechanics holds that the leading edge of a blade should be smooth but the front edges of the whale's flippers were covered in bumps. Based on everything fish had learned and taught, the whale's fins should have been inefficient. However, after further research, fish discovered that the bumps on the whale's flippers actually improved their performance. What's more, by imitating them, he was able to make turbines and airfoils that had more efficient lift and were less likely to stall. Today, whale power technology produces retrofits for fans, pumps and turbines. Tests for the products, which have been verified by a third party, show they are significantly quieter, more efficient and more reliable than anything else on the market. Another example is the work of William McDonough, one of Ray Anderson's mentors and collaborators, an architect who has developed a working approach called the cradle-to-the-cradle design or regenerative design, which is a biomimetic approach to the design of products and systems that models human industry on nature's processes. And just a little personal story, while I was living in London, I had the chance to attend a seminar where Ray Anderson spoke and shared his business perspective on how he was changing Interface's business model to be more sustainable. And that was a good decade ago. And over the last 25 years, Interface has set out to transform the business to have zero negative impact on the planet based on something called Mission Zero. This was a bold step for a billion-dollar carpet tile manufacturer that had never thought about the environment. Ray describes his epiphany as a spear in the chest after he read The Ecology of Commerce by Paul Hawkins. He says he never gave thought to what they were taking or doing to the earth, except to be compliant with regulations and obeying the law. He had very little environmental awareness until customers began asking, what is your company doing for the environment? And he realised they had no adequate answers. And so began the transformation of Interface into a global leader in sustainability. 
Outdoor clothing company Patagonia is another well-known business for its environmental activism. Patagonia's business philosophy is based to a large degree on whether it can reduce its impact on the environment. For them, it means auditing the materials and methods they use to make their products, taking responsibility for the entire life cycle of their products and examining how they use resources at their buildings and facilities. And you can also take your Patagonia clothing to repair shops. And this is a radical act too. Rather than throwing out and replacing, the idea of fixing things is something we need to build into our mindset rather than the throwaway society we've become. Rewilding is another nature-based solution and is about restoring the missing species, biodiversity and natural processes to areas affected by human activity. Rewilding is about letting nature take the lead. An example of this is Rewilding Europe and Entrepreneurship, which is in its early stages. However, they have uh, put forward a business case and economic opportunities that rewilding can offer and they they refer to it as nature-based economies. Rewilding Europe has been working with enterprises to support the integration of rewilding objectives into their business plans. Rewilding aligns well for ecotourism and is good for our well-being. We know the benefits of being in nature. We don't need to be told this. We know it intuitively. This also leads us to economics and our business as usual mindset. In order to address the environmental issues we face, we also need to address our current economic model. And we'd like to highlight two economic approaches that have the environment embedded. One is natural capital accounting, launched by the United Nations and the Basque Centre for Climate Change. This new tool uses artificial, the Artificial Intelligence for Environmental and Sustainability, which they call ARIES platform, to support countries as they apply the new international standard for natural capital accounting, which is the System of Environmental Economic Accounting Ecosystem Accounting. This is about reorienting economic and policy planning towards sustainable development, where countries begin consideration of this system to measure economic prosperity and human well-being that includes the contributions of nature. The framework is designed to see how economic activities may affect our ecosystems, how the presence of nature affects us, and how human activities could be changed to achieve prosperity without damaging or destroying nature in the process. Wouldn't that be something? Then there is the work of economist Kate Rayworth and her concept of donor economics. She asks us to think of her economic model as a compass for human prosperity in the 21st century, with the aim of meeting the needs of all people within the means of the living planet. The donut consists of two concentric rings, a social foundation to ensure that no one is left falling short on life's essentials, and an ecological ceiling to ensure that humanity does not collectively overshoot the planetary boundaries that protect Earth's life-supporting systems. Between these two sets of boundaries lies a donut-shaped space that is both ecologically safe and socially just, a space in which humanity can thrive. I'll briefly mention economist Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute, who regularly says that economics helps show options and that we can do anything we want, but we can't do it all. He says there are trade-offs. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it we're prepared to trade off? Are we prepared to continue to trade off the health of our environment which in turn has major ramifications for human health and well-being and, of course, all the other animals that live on this planet. And, Daniel, there is another area that's ripe for disruption and rethinking, and it's in your area of event management. In particular, there's one that we saw around a paper around music festivals, sustainable event management for music festivals from an organiser's, an event organiser's perspective. Um, the author of that was Raina Wavaria. Um, 
while it focuses on music festivals, I'm sure there's other learnings for other events. What did you find out in that? Yeah, Catherine, I had a quick look and uh, the paper highlights that to run a sustainable event, you have to address the environmental, social and economic planning in equal measures. And whilst it proposed that formal sustainability frameworks should be developed and a, a rating system for events should be implemented, one of the key successes to running a sustainable event is to get attendee participation. Attendees need to be engaged with the sustainable initiatives at an event so that they can actively participate. And this leads to behavioural change at events, which is a long-term term goal. An example which is very close to my home, leading the way on sustainability and environmental policy, is the uh, Woodford Folk Festival, which is a major international draw card for many musicians, artists, and of course, music lovers. The Woodford Folk Festival's environmental policy sets out key areas in which they focus their attention. Their aim is to become leaders amongst cultural organisations in environmental matters. And a shout out to uh, my friend Simon Cavendish, who helped them to develop that. One of these uh, is establishing performance criteria and introducing an auditing and reporting system to accurately measure their environmental performance each year. And the other areas include wildlife management, land management and recycling. The festival site is based on a formal barren dairy farm, which has been regenerated through programs called Bush Time and The Planting. This happens with the assistance and enthusiasm of very committed volunteers, many of whom have been attending the festival for years. The planting includes 120,000 subtropical rainforest trees, orchids, ferns and sedges planted to create a habitat for butterflies and wildlife. The site is always left in a pristine state once the festival is over. It's such a great example and I often look at other music festivals and you see images where, you know, it, the, the rubbish that's left behind is it's just so disgusting and disturbing and I wonder what the mindset is with the people who attend but I also wonder, you know, whether or not that uh, policy or what what the ethos is or the education of the organisers have put the festivals on, how they are educating people in, in, in that way and are they thinking about it in terms of that as has been embedded in the Woodford Folk Festival. So what's to be done? We need to be creative, curious, courageous. There's an opportunity for each of us to do things differently. At a business level, there are enormous opportunities and it's actually a very exciting space to act in and influence. Businesses also need to think creatively and be bold. Increasingly, consumers, employees and investors will ask questions about their environmental policies and the values of the organisations they engage with. We know we can't go on with a business-as-usual mindset. It requires a shift in thinking, a maverick mindset to step into change and possibility and cooperation rather than competition, which is nature's way. When nature is working properly, it provides us with everything from clean air, fresh water, food and medicine to carbon storage and flood prevention, and it needs biodiversity. It also needs business and economic models different to our current one. So we'll leave you with the question that jolted Ray Anderson into action. What are you doing for the environment? What is your business doing for the environment? The future of this precious pale blue dot we inhabit must be green and regenerative. We'd love to hear your stories and that of others who you know are doing great things in this, in this area. We can share those people on this Maverick show. Thanks for stopping by Maverick Minds Podcast. We'd love you to get in touch with us if you'd like to discuss how we can help you think differently about your business and inspire a creative mindset. And we look forward to catching up with you next time on the podcast. We'd love you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And if you like our Maverick Musings podcast, please leave a review or, or provide a rating. 
do get on board and become part of the Maverick Minds podcast community. So until next time. Yes, until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. See you.